0: Alright, so we have been in First Thessalonians, and uh, just by way of review, we are talking, as we've already heard this morning, we're talking about, like, what do we do in the meantime? Jesus has already been, He came, He lived a perfect life, He died on a cross, we understand from the Word of God that He took our place on the cross, and then He rose from the dead, like He's not just still there in a tomb somewhere, He rose from the dead, but the Bible says He's Coming back, and we talked about that as we had communion together. We're looking forward to that day, but there's a like a, a time in the middle that we have to live, and that's kind of what First Thessalonians is about. So, like, how do we approach that time in the middle? In the meantime, in the first week, we talked just kind of uh, real quickly. We talked about the background to this church. We'll talk about that a little bit more again this morning because it's relevant to what we're talking about this morning. But we also kind of, we got a snapshot of what does it look like to be a faithful follower in the meantime. We went through 10 things, that's a lot of things, but that wasn't really the point as much as, like that's a picture. Like when you look at a picture, you see a lot of little different details, but you put it all together and that's what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And then last week we talked about ministry, right? I hope some of you guys have spent some time thinking through, okay, so what does God have for me? And I don't care what age you're at. You, you may be thinking you're finishing the end of your race. You may be thinking you're just getting started on your race somewhere in between. God has something for every single one of us. Like He saved us in order that He might use us. And I trust that as you've gone through the last week and you've been thinking about the sermon, you've been thinking about, hey, what, is it, what would it look like for me to be a faithful minister I don't know who came up with the idea that the person up front here is called the minister. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says my job and Steve's job and an elder's job and pastor's jobs are to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's you guys, okay? So my job is to help equip you to go out and to minister. And some of that equipping starts with you. You say, okay, God... You made me in a special way, like I'm different than everybody else around me. You've given me a purpose. Help me to understand what that is. And once you know that, that makes it a lot easier for me to help equip you for what God's called you to do. So it kind of starts with you saying, okay, God, where do you want to use me? What do you want to do? Okay. Um, So what we are going to do this morning in chapter two is we're going to kind of get back to some of what was discussed in chapter one. Because a lot of what we're going to talk about this morning, if you go back and read chapter 1, it's like, I think I read that already. I think I heard that already. It's like almost word for word, in fact, of some of the stuff that he says, hey, I'm thankful for this in you guys. Now, usually when the Bible repeats some things, it's kind of important, isn't it? And so we're going to talk about what the importance of that is. But I want you to understand that as we go through this, Paul may have been a little bit concerned, I think, again, if you remember some of the background, concerned with, okay, when he went to Thessalonica, he'd spent just a little bit of time there before persecution came, and actually he got kicked out of town, and he had to leave. And that's what some of his critics were saying. Hey, this Paul guy, he didn't stay very long. He's a kind of a flash-in-the-pan thing. We're not even sure if what he said was truth. And then he left you, and he went and did his own thing. And so Paul was concerned about this, like, fledgling church. And he sent Timothy back to check on it. And guess what Timothy found out? This is is a real deal. These guys are being faithful. They're continuing on. And so Paul, he's going to say again, man, I'm thankful for what I've heard. This little tiny church is continuing to grow. So he's thankful for that. But the question is, why did that happen? And we're going to see here today that it has to do with how they received the Word of God. Because there are two ways to receive it, right? Now, the the people in Thessalonica, as Paul was there, I'm sure there were a lot of people who received the Word of God. Just like there are a lot of people here this morning receiving the Word of God, but that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody is going to accept it as the Word of God. It doesn't mean everybody here is going to understand all of the truths about it. In fact, we'll talk about what that might look like. But in Thessalonica, a lot of people heard the Word of God, but not everybody received it in the same way. Because there are two options. You can either accept it as the Word of God and put yourself under it, or you can reject it and say, I don't want to have anything to do with it. It's along the lines of everything else that I hear. Kind of like, I don't know, kind of like going to the ATM, and you want to put some money in the bank, and you pull out of your wallet a couple $20 bills, and you stick them in. Now, if they're not, if they're all crumbled up, and you stick them in, what usually happens? Spits it right back out, right? I don't want your $20 bill because I don't think it's real. And you flatten it out, and you try to stick it in again, and it comes back out. What do I got to do? Get another one, you know? Or, especially if you're at the right kiosk, and you got the right food in there, stick your dollar bill in. Hopefully it's only a dollar. Stick your dollar, nice, crisp dollar bill in, and you stick it in there, and it accepts it, and you push the little buttons, and you get out exactly what you wanted. One is rejected, and the other is accepted. And that's the idea of this morning, we've only got two points. There are only two ways to receive the Word of God. You can accept it for what it is, or you can reject it and say, no, it's not what God says it is. That's a summary, All right. So let's look at chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. A faithful response is one that acknowledges it as God's Word and accepts it. Okay, chapter 2, verse 13, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, when you heard it, when it came into your hearing, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. Warren Wearsby has said, Receiving is the hearing of the ears, but accepting is the hearing of the heart. It's one thing to hear the word of God and it goes in your ears that doesn't necessarily translate to it is accepted into your heart. This word accepted is similar to the idea of um, if you were to have an Amazon driver come up to your door, knock on your door. Say, thanks for the gift, but go back to your car. I'm going to take my gift inside and you leave, right? You don't welcome the Amazon driver into your home. However, if you have a Well, let's say a well-liked relative, let's put it that way, okay? Not just any relative, but a well-liked relative comes to your door, and you haven't seen them in a while, and they knock on the door. You're like, oh man, it has been so long, come on in. Make yourself, that's the idea behind this accept, okay? There's a lot of people that had heard the word in Thessalonica, many had received it, but there were a few that accepted it. They welcomed it into their hearts as one would welcome a relative into their home. And I think in our culture today, there are a lot of people who receive the Word of God. In fact, I'm, I'm amazed at how often I listen to sports talk radio. Sorry, yes, I listen to sports talk radio. And uh, mostly it's because of Brock Heward. You know, he's from here in Puyallup, right? And uh, he knows Christ as his Savior, but man, there's there's so many verses that get quoted on Sports Talk Radio. And I know most of the time they, they don't believe anything about what they're talking about. They just heard it somewhere. They've heard the Word of God, but it hasn't taken root in their heart. They have not accepted it as the Word of God. They're just using it for conversation. A lot of people in Thessalonica had received the Word of God, but these people accepted it As the Word of God, they welcomed it into their hearts. So why is that significant? It says, um, the Word of God, you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the Word of men, but as what it really is, the Word of God, which is at work in you believers, it's significant that they accepted it as the Word of God because that is the only thing that can produce the fruit that we need in our lives. You know, I was thinking about that this week. Uh, well, actually, I wasn't thinking about that. I was thinking about talking with somebody else that was having some problems, and, you know, we were trying to figure out how to help, and, and I it just, like, for some reason it occurred to me, and maybe you guys have already thought of this, probably thought of this before, but I just thought, you know, if I don't have the Bible to give them, And they put their Bible on the shelf for a while. What's left? Well, I got my smarts. That's not a whole lot. You got your smarts. That's not a whole lot. Like we're left to our own thinking. And the Bible says my ways aren't his ways. My thoughts aren't his thoughts. So I'm left to myself. And what else else am I left with? I'm left with all the rest of the garbage out there that I hear from everybody else, whether it's on the radio or the TV or advertising or walking into a grocery store and hearing in the checkout line what they have to say. That's what I'm left with. I'm left with a bunch of useless information because it doesn't have the power to change my life. And I want to encourage you as well, as you think about what we're talking about here this morning regarding taking... The word of God saying, okay, I'm going to accept it as God's word. Like if you put your Bible on the shelf for a week, I'm not saying it's the end of the world, but what I am saying is, what do you have left to rely on? You're missing the most important thing that has the power to change your life. We talked about this last week in our in our workshop. Um, Scripture says, I hide God's word in my heart so that I might not sin against him, right? We, most of us know that verse. We could quote that verse. And yet, how many of us wonder why Christians live the way we live? Why is there so much sin in our lives? Why can't we get rid of the stuff that we're trying to get rid of? Maybe it's because we've got nothing hidden in our hearts, We don't have the Word of God in our hearts and we're trying to do it on our own and we're trying to figure out ways to get around this sin in my life and this habit in my life. and We're trying to do it on our own. God says, no, I want you to understand the power of God is found in His Word. It has the power to change. And it says here, it is at work in you believers. As the Word of God... It is far superior to anything that man has to say. It, it is the only thing that can do what we need done in our lives. What was the evidence of God at work? Verse 14, it says, For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. Now, that imitators isn't isn't like in a negative way. You know, sometimes... Uh, Big brother imitates a little brother, and eh, eh, you know, that kind of stuff. Or, um, you know, we try to imitate maybe in a very poor way somebody that is a movie star or something like that. That's not what we're talking about. This imitation is something that they didn't even understand they were doing. Because Paul is going to say, hey, you guys are imitating, and, and here's what's going on in Judea. Okay, he says, You are imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, for you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. Uh, This church in Thessalonica, this young church, isn't trying to set out and say, hey, let's see if we can suffer persecution just like they did. No, what he's trying to say is, we know the word of God has taken root in your heart because the result is exactly the same. When you decided, okay, this is the Word of God. I'm going to take it as the Word of God and I'm going to put it into practice. I'm going to live by it. I'm going to make sure it's priority in my life. The same result happened. You didn't care who was saying don't do it. You didn't say care who was saying when they could do it. Like you just did it. And as you did it, guess what? Persecution came. We know that's how God was at work in your life because the result was the same. You imitated the church's... In Judea, in the same sort of way, in that you said, we don't care what's happening, we're going to obey God. Now, the church in Judea, they're suffering because their countrymen said, hey, this isn't the way we've always done it. This is something new. We'll get into it, but basically, we don't believe that that's from God. We've already heard God's word. That doesn't line up with God's word, so we're going to reject that. And they began to persecute their own countrymen. Paul is not saying here that, that he is anti-Semitic at all. Okay, He's just saying hey, this group of people rejected it and so they began to uh, oppose us. I want you to understand the same sort of things happening here at Thessalonica. You guys said we're following Jesus no matter what and you're going to be persecuted in the same sort of way. So we know that you're imitating. is not necessarily of the church as much as it is we're going to Put the Word of God into practice, okay? So, these Thessalonians, they looked at this group of people who decided they were going to obey God no matter what. And they said, wait a minute, there's only one king. His name is Caesar. We can't have two. So, let's get this message out of town, okay? So, that kind of idea here, again, just kind of putting it into a, a... cultural perspective of the time in Thessalonica as you heard if you were here the first week there were lots of orators that came into town all the time and they all had a different message to share they all had a different philosophy in life they all had a different way to be able to look at the world and so people would come to the center of town all the time and listen to these people speak great speeches it was like the entertainment of the day and Paul comes into town and he's got this message And there was this decision to make. Is this just another one of the guys who comes in with a a cool story and then goes rides off into the sunset to the next town? Or is there something different here that's going on? And he says to the church at Thessalonica, you guys received the word and you accepted it as the word of God. But let's look at the other side of the coin here. Verse 15. Here's what it looks like to not have a faithful response. These Jews who were in Judea, they killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved so as to always fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. The other side of the coin is either we can say, okay, this is truth from the Word of God. Or this is just like the other guy who came with a different message, and he's selling something different, and I don't buy either one of them because it's just for man. And we'll we'll again talk about it a little bit later on what difference that makes for us. But as they rejected the word of God, they heard the exact same truths that the church in Thessalonica heard. They heard the same message, Paul's message about the gospel, his message about who Jesus was, his message about being sinners. His message about forgiveness. Like it was the same message. The only difference was one group of people said we understand this to be from God. And another group of people said I don't buy that. That's just a bunch of people who wrote that stuff. They heard the same truths but responded totally differently. Now, these Jews who were in Judea That Paul is referring to. He's not just referring to the Jews of the day. He's referring to a long history. Because as God sent messages to the Jewish people. Over and over and over again. God would say, you know what? You guys need to get this straightened out. Because I'm displeased with this. And they would kill that prophet. They would get a message from God. Hey, you need to get this straightened out. they would kill that prophet. They would send a message, God would send a message through another prophet and say, hey, there's going to be a Messiah and this is what he's going to look like. Ah, baloney. Over and over and over again. And and what Paul is trying to say here is like, this is not just the first time. This is over and over and over and over again. The Jewish people rejected the message of the word of God is coming from him. And he said, what's happening in Thessalonica is the same sort of thing. It's just a different group of people. There were some people in Thessalonica who were saying, you know what, we hear the same message, but I don't believe that any better than I believe the last guy that came through. And they rejected what they heard from God. And he says it was displeasing to God, but also hindered, or he was opposing all of mankind. And I, you know, as I, thought, I read that, I thought, how does he say that they're opposing all of mankind. I get that maybe they're opposing those who are sharing that message. But did you catch what he said here? He said, they oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles, what? That they might be saved. Because they're opposing not just the people who are preaching the message But they are denying people the opportunity to have the life-saving message of the Gospel preached to them. They are opposing the good of all people. These people who are rejecting the message of the Gospel are not just rejecting the messenger, but they're rejecting and opposing those people who desperately need that message. Now, it shouldn't surprise us, should it? It's happened since the beginning of time. Again, the message of the good news of God that He's going to send to deliver has always been opposed through all of history. And so it shouldn't surprise us. But the question that Paul is trying to help us to address here, hey, where do I fit into this? Am I accepting it as truth from the Word of God as I receive it, or am I rejecting it, saying that's oh, no different than anyone else's truth? He goes on to say... Um, so, as always, to fill up the measure of their sin. What does that mean? Again, if you read the Bible through very carefully, that kind of phrasing is used over and over and over again in the Bible to help us to understand that there is a point at which God's love and His mercy comes to an end and judgment happens. And when that happens, like their, their sin, the measure of sin is full and God can bring upon them judgment. You say, well, that doesn't happen all the time. No, it doesn't happen all the time, thankfully. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. I just want to turn here real quickly because I think it helps us to get a, an understanding of what happens here. Verse 8 says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. And don't get that mixed up and say, well, in God's mind, no. To God, still he understands what a day is and he understands what a thousand years. He's just trying to help us to get a perspective from God's point of view, like time doesn't really matter to him. Okay? But then he goes on to say in verse 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. As some count slowness. What's the promise? He's going to send Jesus back. And some us think, man, he's been, we've been listening to that for 2,000 years. What's he waiting on? He is not slow to fulfill His promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God is patient. He is loving. He is merciful. And He continues to give opportunities for people to come to repentance. But there will be a day where the sin is full of and he will bring judgment. That's the only way he can be a loving God and a just God at the same time. See, the deal is Jesus came to this earth and he lived as God here on this earth exactly the way God wanted him to live. He measured up to the standard of God in the same way that you and I do, dependence upon the Spirit of God. He didn't like take his Godness and say, I'll never sin because I'm going to use my Godness to do that. No, in the same way that you and I have to overcome temptation with the Spirit of God Jesus did in His humanity, okay? But at the end of the day, He died a cruel death on a cross so that God could pour out His wrath upon Jesus for the sin of all mankind. Now most of us think, you know, the death on the cross was the really bad part. No, that wasn't the really bad part. The really bad part was when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it was when God poured out His wrath upon sin on Jesus for you and for me. And if we choose to say, you know what? I understand that God is a holy God, that He is a just God, and He must punish sin, and He punished Jesus on my behalf. God promises that our sin will be forgiven. But if we say I reject that, I don't believe that's what happened. Yeah, I believe Jesus lived a life here on the earth. Uh, there's history. What can I do to disprove that? But I don't believe He's God. I don't believe His death meant anything for me today. Then God says, "You know what? I still have to punish sin. That means I have to pour out my wrath upon you." And so when we read here, it says uh, back. Sorry, I got to get back there here. Just a second. First Thessalonians chapter two. Um, end of verse 16 it says so as always to fill up the measure of their sins but wrath has come upon them at last he's talking from the perspective of all right i'm here and right now but i also understand it is as good as finished john chapter 3 verse 16 most of us know well for god so loved the world that he begave that whoa in front of people for god so loved the world That He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17, though, it says, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save them. But if we reject Him, it says, the wrath of God already abides on us. It's already there. And if we continue to reject, our hearts become harder and harder and harder and harder. Paul is saying here, as they hinder the message of the Gospel from getting out, they're opposing the messengers, they're opposing others, and they are making it their aim to oppose truth. So, as I was thinking through this, I was thinking, okay, so... Are there like examples that would help us to be able to picture what this is like? I thought back this week in my devotions and there were quite a few things that happened this week. Uh, Sometimes this happens, sometimes it doesn't happen. As I I was reading through my devotions, I was reading about Moses going to Pharaoh. Moses had a word from God, didn't he? What was the word? Let my people go. We're going to go out and we're going to worship. Let my people go. And Pharaoh said, "Mm, no thanks. In fact, at the very beginning, he got his magicians. You know, first plague comes. Moses does his thing. Magicians do their thing. Eh, It's just the same as what we got. It's not from God. And and that continued on until the Exodus chapter 9. You want to turn there real quickly. Exodus chapter 9. I don't think I've ever noticed this before, but it stopped me in my tracks because, again, as a pastor, you hear a lot of different things, okay, and you hear a lot of people say a lot of things that sound really good, and you go, yes, that doesn't necessarily mean anything's going on inside, and I can't see people's hearts, okay, but I want you to see this, Exodus chapter 9, verse 22, the Lord said to Moses, so we're in one of the plagues, all right, The Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the heavens so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man and beast and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven. The Lord sent thunder and hail and fire ran down to the earth. And the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. And there was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. Now again, like you guys know the this, this story, right? This is, like, I don't think we would understand what this would be like. To have these these hail bombs coming down. Destroying people. God had already told you, get inside. And some people didn't listen, and they were outside, and they got bombed with these hail things and just, just totally destroyed. And not just like little bushes, but whole trees destroyed by this hail. So as I'm picturing this, I'm going, okay, I can't imagine that Pharaoh's real excited about this. But look at what happens next. Verse 27. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. That sounds like somebody who had an encounter with God, doesn't it? Please forgive me, I've sinned. Make your God change what's going on. It sounds good. Using the right words, Moses said to him, As soon as I've gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease and there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the Lord is the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. You said the right thing. I've Yes, you have sinned. Moses is delivering a message from God. Pharaoh says, I don't, I don't believe that's from God. I can do what He can do. I don't really care. But I don't like the situation I'm in, so I'll say something to make you happy. Moses says, alright. I'm going to listen to what you have to say. I'm going to pull that back, but I don't believe you for a second. down to chapter 10, verse 12. Same sort of deal is going on here. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, so they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant in the land, all that the hail has left. Who spoke that? God spoke it to Moses and said, I want you to pass on to Pharaoh a message from God. Here's what's going to happen. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land, and all day and all that night. And and you can go on to read what happened with the locusts. They covered the land. Verse 16. Then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore, Forgive my sin, please, only this once, and plead with the Lord your God only to remove this death from me. Same thing. Please forgive me, I've sinned against your God. It sounds good on the outside. He had received the message from God with his ears. But in his heart, he had said, I don't care what God has to say. I'm going to do my own thing. I reject that as coming from God. I'm as tough as God. I can I can handle it. Bring on your best. And he continued in the same old path. And it tells us that Pharaoh continued to harden his heart. Verse 20. Not only did Pharaoh continue to harden his heart, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart as well. I said, all right. You're going to head down that path. I will continue to give you all the strength that you need to go down that path. Because you're rejecting my word. What about the other side? Most of us know the story of David and Bathsheba, right? He made a horrible mess of his life. He sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against Uriah. He sinned against all kinds of people in that situation, lying to people, all kinds of stuff. And... At the end of the day, Nathan comes to him in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 11, thus says the Lord, Nathan speaking, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this sin. For you did it in secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the the son. Nathan says, I got a message from God. You are the man in the story that I told. You are the one. And here's what God says. These are the consequences. And what does David say? Verse 13, David said to Nathan the exact same thing as Pharaoh. I have sinned against the Lord. Same words. I've sinned against the Lord. That's it. He doesn't go into a long detail about why. He didn't give excuses. He just said, I have sinned. And the story goes on. But I want you to look at, if you would, Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is is a great place to turn if if you know you've made a mess of things. And a way to be able to say to God, I I admit I've made a mess. I, I want to make it right. Psalm 51 begins, as you heard Steve mention it several times over the summer, with a little kind of intro to let us know what's going on. It says, To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. I know that you have the right to say whatever you just said through Nathan. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach the wisdom in the secret of in the secret heart. David says, I admit I have made a mess. I admit that I've not been who I need to be. And God, please give me a new start. I don't want to stay here. I want to take a different path. And I believe that changed David's life. he would never forget that. When he began in a different course to say, "Like I'm not going there again. I trust that what God said is true and I will take on the consequences, but I'm going to head a different direction. And David changed his path. As we spoke in our workshop last week, over and over and over again, Scripture uses the word grieve to describe God's emotions about sin. Typically, we don't think of God as an emotional God. He kind of sits up there in his rocking chair and watches what's going on. Nothing bothers him. He doesn't get real excited. He doesn't get real low. He does. Scripture tells us that he grieves. Why? Because so we're disobeying him? No, I think that might bring on a different emotion. But grieving comes because he knows what's best for us and he sees the destruction that sin brings into our lives. And so when we say, God, I don't want to listen to what you have to say, I'm going to do my own thing and I'm going to treat it as though it's just some other guy saying some other thing, it grieves him because he knows what it's going to cost us, knows where it leads. And as we think about the idea of Pharaoh hearing the Word of God and saying, sorry, I'm going to treat it just like everybody else has given me advice and I'm going to say, I'm in charge. Or David, who says, I hear the Word of God and I recognize Him to be sovereign. I recognize Him to have the right to say you are wrong and here are the consequences. We have a choice to make. As those who are waiting in the meantime, it may seem as though Jesus' coming is a long ways away. Sometimes we live our lives like that, don't we? We think, man, you know, you guys have been talking about this for a couple thousand years. Yeah, He's coming, but that's not going to affect me. Because I'm going to be able to do what I can, then maybe at the end of my life, I'll get right with God. Don't fool yourself. As we continue to harden our hearts, God would say, hey, you harden your heart, and I'll give you all the strength that you need. Keep going in that direction. I want you, though, to understand that at the end of the day, the reason Paul is writing in thankfulness to this church is because they continue to preach the message of the gospel. That was the hope that was available to every single person in that town. The message of the Gospel was what could change their lives for all of eternity. And that's what was being hindered. The hope of the Gospel is also for us today. Maybe you're sitting here in this room, and I don't know where everybody's at here in this room, but maybe you've heard the story of Jesus Over and over and over again. He died on a cross. He paid for sins. He he wants me to trust Him as His Savior. Yeah, I can put that off for a while. God is still being patient. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And the hope of the Gospel is that you hear it one more time. And maybe this time you say, okay God, I will take you at your word. I'm not going to treat it as just somebody else gave me some more bad advice. I'm going to take it as coming from you and I'm going to trust Jesus right now to forgive me of my sin. And He will do that today. Even if you've been saying no for years, coming to church isn't going to save you from your sin. Money in the offering plate. Doing good things for little old ladies going across the road. like That's not going to save you from your sin. Your sin has a debt that it owes. And either you can pay that or you can say, No, I want Jesus to pay that. Today, if you've never trusted Jesus to save you and rescue you from the wrath that you deserve, he offers that forgiveness today. Don't leave this place hearing the word of God and saying, Eh, that's just good advice. I'm going to do my own thing. As well, though, those of us who know Christ, why don't you ask yourself a question? Is God at work in me? How is God at work in you? Like it's not, again, it's not just a matter of praying every day. God needs to speak to you in order that your life might be changed. And the only way that He does that is through His Word. You're not probably going to encounter Him. I haven't known, I I, I hear stories But I have not known anyone to go up onto a mountain somewhere and God has a burning bush up there and you meet with Him and it changes your life. Now, if that happens, let me know, okay? I've heard stories and there are some crazy stories, but most of the time I'm not sure I buy it. But what I want you to understand though is if you put, again, put your Bible on the shelf and you ignore. What God says. You know what basically what we're saying? Not really God's word. I can treat that just like I do every other book that I've got on my shelf. I'll just stick it up there with the rest of them. Treat it as though it comes from me. It will not change your life that way. It doesn't help to put it up on the shelf and expect God to do some crazy thing in our lives by helping us to be like Jesus just because you come to church. His Word comes from Him. And that's what He uses to change our lives. That's the power of God's Word. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. And it can get to places that you and I don't even know we need to get to in order that we might understand who we are. So I ask you, do you take God's Word, the Bible, as God's Word, or do you stick it on the shelf and say, I'm good, I'll do my own thing, and try and figure it out myself? The other way, again, like looking at this text, that we know that God's Word is changing us is our uncompromising stand that we take for the Word of God. I'm not talking about for a political party. I'm not talking about for whether we wear masks or whether we're pro this. Or, I'm like That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about do we take a stand for God's word. Because this church in Thessalonica took a stand. And when they took a stand, the world around them did not like it. They were persecuted because they said, "We are standing in front of them. this is the word of God, and we don't care what anybody else says. We're going to continue to preach the word of God, and we'll take what's coming to us." How are we doing in that realm? I'm not trying to guilt us into getting out there and sharing the message. What I'm trying to get us at is, do we take God at His Word? Stuff that we read in His Word, do we say, man, I I really believe that enough to say, when I go to my friend or my neighbor or my workmate or the person that I go to school with, am I willing to bring them the truth of the Word of God no matter what the outcome is? Or Later, you're going to get shut down. You're going to be told you can't. When that time comes, find out, maybe we've already found out, hey, do I really believe this is the Word of God or is it just something that I do on Sundays to make my grandparents happy or to make my spouse happy or whatever? Do I take the Bible There's a way that we can help you this morning in, in either one of those two things. If you want to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, or if you want help, say, man, I, I, just, I need to understand the Word of God enough so that I can count on it to be the Word of God. We'd love to help you. Um, if you've got the app, if you've got the, the website as well, there's a little Connect card back on the table back there. Any way that we can help, please let us know. And if you trusted Christ as your Savior this morning, like you don't have to walk an aisle or sign a card or anything like that. You just need to talk to God and make that transaction happen between you and God. But again, what's the proof of that, that you're willing to stand up for it? Maybe tell the person that that brought you or maybe somebody that you know well here. Say, hey, I trusted Christ as my Savior today. I need some help moving forward in that. I'm sure they'd love to help you with that. If there's any way we can help, please let us know. We'd love to be able to do that. Um, But I trust as well as you think through that this morning and as you continue to think through it, there's a sermon supplement on the back table back there as well as on the website and the app as well. All that kind of stuff that help you to keep thinking through that this week, okay? Let's stand together, have a word of prayer, and trust that God will use us this week. Father, thank You for Your Word. I thank You for these short four verses that encourage us to not just receive the Word of God, and then treat it just like we do every other word. But Father, to receive it and to accept it as coming from You. To put our lives on the line in order that we might know that we are, we are standing behind the Word of God. Father, there's someone here this morning that's never trusted Christ as their Savior. I pray that You would give them just an understanding of who they are and their need for Jesus. And I pray that You give them the ability to be able to put their faith and their trust in Him. God, we thank you for what you're doing in this place. Thank you for these folks who have listened this morning. I pray that you would help them as they go here this morning to be able to to understand what you need them to know from this message this morning. God, thank you that as we leave this place even, your spirit is not confined to this building. God, you want to keep talking to us. So Father, keep sharing with us the things that we need to know as we go through this week in Jesus' name.